Good morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in a Bible to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19 as we begin a new sermon series. And some of you might be saying, Matt, um, Ephesians starts in chapter 1. And, um, and I actually know that. I do know that. Um, learned it this morning. Um, now, we're going to actually get to chapter 1 in a couple of weeks. We're actually going to spend some time in chapter 3 this week and another place next week just to do some, some heart work, some prep work for then studying passage by passage the entire book of Ephesians from Ephesians 1, 1 all the way to the end of chapter 6. So uh, we're going to start this morning uh, by thinking about some things we find in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 19. And while you are turning there, a couple things, probably not here this morning because I got married yesterday, but big congratulations to Peter and Sarah Donnelly. I've uh, been attending here for about a year, got married uh, last night. So if you do see them, you can say congratulations. Um, another uh, thing I want to mention is we got a note in the uh, in the offering uh, last week, and it was a note all about how welcome somebody felt last week. They it was I think their maybe their first time or one of their first times here, and the note went on and on about how just they felt so welcomed, in particular by uh, one young mother who had uh, kids crawling all over her, and um, but yet still this young mom just went out of her way to make sure this person felt extremely welcome here. And uh, I just, that, that young mom was Miriam Hart, who you all know and love. And I just wanted to say, good job, Miriam, wherever you are. Um, it's just, that's the kind of deliberately welcome, uh, or being deliberately welcoming that we just really want to have here. And so I just wanted to mention that. Good job, Miriam. Let's all be that welcoming. All right. Um, and now let's welcome the Word of God into our hearts. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving Word. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are a God who has revealed himself to your people, through your word and spirit, and most of all, through your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray now that you would be with us as we study this passage and think about this series. We do pray that this Sunday and the Sundays following as we bask in the beauty of what you reveal about yourself in the book of Ephesians would be a sweet and special time in the life of our church. And that you would use this time to help us know you more, understand you more, receive the unfathomable love of Christ more, and be filled with the fullness of God. 
and be excited and equipped to continue our mission to make disciples who worship you and love one another in community and live on mission. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I got to have one of those joyful, minor uh, parental panic moments yesterday when um, we were all going to go to my son's first flag football game. And uh, he's been excited about this game for like since he was born. So this was uh, going to be a big moment. We were excited about it. I drove him early uh, to get to the little practice beforehand. Hannah and the rest of the kids were coming later. And when we arrived there, uh, as he was gathering with his team, the first thing that we both sort of recognized was that all of the kids had mouth guards in. And um, I realized what Noah realized. Uh, he came and vocalized it. And he said, hey, Dad, I guess I am supposed to have a mouth guard. And I said, yeah, I guess you are. And uh, he said, it's all right, Dad. I'll be all right. And I was proud of him for just charging on in there and playing without a mouth guard. But I was thinking, how did I not know that he needed this? I, you know, I felt like I, was, I let him down. And, and uh, I got, I was thinking about like calling Hannah and saying, hey, uh, I don't know how close you are, but, but uh, uh, divert to the sporting goods store and get a mouth guard because I didn't, I didn't know if he was going to be able to play. And I did not want him to miss this game. Now, I didn't have to call Hannah because there was another dad uh, from the, uh, one of the, had a kid on the team. He was standing there and I said, hey, um, do they need a mouth guard? And he said, no, they don't need mouth guards. They don't touch and flag football. I don't know why these kids have mouth guards. They don't need it. <laughs> and I said, uh, praise God. Thank you. Um, and I knew everything would be okay. But uh, now it's, it was so interesting because in a matter of seconds, I went from feeling that deep, oh, something's missing. Oh, I don't have something I need. Oh, that, you know, that frustrating feeling to feeling, oh, everything's okay. Everything's quite all right. I have everything I need, at least for the moment, or at least my son has what he needs for the moment. It's just interesting how we all know that feeling. We all know that feeling when we feel like something's missing, right? Or I don't have something I need or that I very strongly long for. And we, we know those sort of like little practical things like, oh man, I don't have a mouth guard. We know that type of feeling, but we also feel very deeply that we don't have something for not just a moment, but for a season. You know, there's times in our lives where we might feel like, I really don't have joy. I feel like I'm missing real lasting joy. Um, Sometimes we might feel like I just, I don't feel secure. I don't feel safe. I'm just longing to feel safe. That's missing. And we, as human beings, we feel this lack or we feel like things are missing. And I think we can all relate to that. And there's a reason for it. We are incomplete. As fallen human beings flawed, sinful, broken people, we are incomplete. That's why this series is entitled Incomplete. And it's bad news that we're incomplete. We don't like thinking about that. But the good news is that God reveals to us in his word that we find in Christ everything that's missing in us. And this whole series is designed to help us realize that, to see that through 
what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, and then even to discipline ourselves to believe and to live as if it's true that we really do find in Christ, through our relationship with Christ, everything that's missing in us. That's the hope for this whole series. And so this morning we're going to begin by talking about three things that we're going to need to do if we're going to grow deeply in this reality that we really do find in Christ everything that's missing in us. Three things we're going to have to do. Number one, uh, we're going to, we need to accept something. So we're going to talk about accepting something. Uh, number two, we need to receive something. And number three, we need to reject something. Okay? And, and keep your Bibles open because we're going to look at these verses again. We need to accept something. We need to receive something. We need to reject something as we begin this journey of finding in Christ everything that's missing in us. So what do we need to accept? All right, what we need to accept is what I already said, but we're going to say it again because it's something hard for us to accept. Here's what we need to accept. Every single one of us is woefully incomplete. We are incomplete, fallen, sinful. We have gaps. We have flaws. We are incomplete. You are incomplete, and so am I. We all are. And the reality is we won't really be able to begin this journey of finding in Christ what's missing in us unless we start to really get face-to-face with all that's missing. We've got to accept the fact that we are incomplete. And um, I understand that this is incredibly countercultural because our society is screaming at us all the time, no, 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 you are fine just as you are. And if anybody says any different, they're a hater and you should ignore them. But if we stay there, then we won't move forward. It's only when we accept that we really are incomplete that we begin to look to God for the fullness that is promised in this passage. In fact, if you look, uh, one of the reasons that uh, I think we need to recognize that we're incomplete is because Paul prays for fullness. I mean, look at the end of verse 19. He says, he has this long prayer, right? And in the end of 19, he says that we may be filled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's talking to Christians, and you don't pray for what's already happened. So he's praying that these Christians, these people who have put their faith in Christ, would now be filled with all the fullness of God. And so the reason we can see that we've got to recognize is that we're incomplete or we're empty is because that's the place we need to be in order to see that God wants to give us fullness. He wants to give us wholeness. He wants to show us how complete we are in Christ. So Paul's praying for that, for the Ephesians. We want to be praying for that for us. But it starts with recognizing that we really are incomplete. And I know we don't like that. Some of us don't like talking about our gaps or our flaws or talking about being incomplete because that's all we think about. And we're desperate to be complete. Others don't like talking about this because they don't want it. They don't want it even a hint of an idea that there's something wrong with them. They don't want it. They, they, we tend to live this lie like we are complete. So either way, none of us want to be talking about this. But the bottom line is, once we acknowledge that we truly are incomplete and in desperate need of the grace of God, that's when we begin to look to him for it. It's also what prevents us from having some big crash and burn in our lives because we were pretending like we really are complete when we're not. 
you know, the uh, greatest weakness is the illusion of strength. When we think we really have all we need, uh, we're, we're ready for a crash. So there was um, uh, a few years ago, some historians were realizing that uh, there was this, the first airplane, the first commercial airplane uh, that was made was made in 1940. It was a Boeing Stratoliner, Stratoliner 307. And they only made 10 of them. It was the first airplane that they were going to use to be transporting people for commercial use. And um, so these historians realized that, that they had only made 10 and there's only one left. There was one, only one Boeing Stratoliner uh, left in existence. And so they decided that they should fix it up. It's worthy of uh, getting all fixed up and putting it in the Smithsonian. So they start this six-year process of totally restoring this Stratoliner, this beautiful airplane. And they went all out. They, they found out that the, the leather on the seats had come from a town in Scotland, so they went to get leather from that town. They found out that the curtains were... Let's pause there. Did you know there were curtains on airplanes? <laughs> Where did those go? But the curtains, the, the cloth that they used to make the curtains were from some certain area in England, so they went there to get that same cloth. They made the carpet all the same. They made everything absolutely the same. They, were, they spent six years restoring this airplane to its pristine condition, and they did this all in Seattle. And the plan was then they would fly it to uh, the Smithsonian, and it would be there on display. Well, they decided to take it out for a test flight once it was all done. And they flew out over the Seattle Bay and then had to ditch it into the Seattle Bay where it sunk to the bottom of the Seattle Bay. Because they didn't put gas in it. Oops. Now, think about that for a second. Like, Just how gracious would it have been if somebody knew that they were incomplete, if somebody knew they did not have everything they needed, if somebody knew that the plane did not have gas, how gracious would it have been of that person to run screaming, saying, do not take off, you are not complete. And how gracious of God who loves you so much more than you realize, of him to come and say, do not take off. You are not complete. So that we would not only hear him announcing that bad news to us, but also good news. That we do find the fullness that God wants us to have in Christ. How gracious of him to point that out, to call us to realize that, that we don't have all we need. When it, when our, on our own, we, have, we do not have what we need to be right with him on our own. We do not have what we need to flourish in life on our own. We do not have what we need to create or sustain healthy relationships. We are incomplete. And so he tells us that so we will depend on him. Another benefit of us all recognizing that we're all incomplete in our various ways is it really helps us to be much more radically gracious to one another. Why did she say that? Why did he do that? Well, we're incomplete. So we need to accept something. We need to accept that we really are incomplete and absolutely dependent on the grace of God for all things. And then we need to receive something. What do we need to receive? And here's where I want you to look back at this passage, this prayer by the Apostle Paul, uh, Ephesians three fourteen through 19. We need to receive something. What is it we need to receive? Well, 
Simply put, we need to receive much more deeply the love of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and see more deeply the love of Christ, that's what leads us to be filled with the fullness of God. Look, Paul says this. He prays this. Let's take a look. Starting in verse 16 here. Here's where the prayer begins. He says, He's praying that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Stop there. First thing that we're realizing is Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would be at work in their inner being. That's pretty huge because a lot of times when we feel God calling us to something, we think, okay, I've got to do something. Well, good news. We want to be trusting that the Holy Spirit is active and at work in us. He's praying the Holy Spirit would empower them and us for something. Okay, what is that? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, that's all the believers, What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? That's not only a beautiful prayer, that's an absolutely mind-blowing statement. You ever described anybody's love that way? God wants us to be able to describe the love of Christ that way because we've experienced it. And so it's like, you know, he's praying, he's saying, he's praying that the Holy Spirit will be at work in them to strengthen them to understand something, to comprehend that. We need strength to comprehend. What do we comprehend? Well, that Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith and this love and the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this love that actually surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying, I want you to know Christ's love that's actually unknowable. I want you to know the unknowable. And it's all centered on the love of Christ which as we'll see in this book is so much uh, demonstrated, shown to us in the cross, that Christ, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come and He would die on the cross to pay for our sins, to reconcile us to God through faith and to promise us eternal life and to make us new in this life as we await His glorious return, His love. Oh, don't you see, like... The more that we understand that love, then the more that we're strengthened by the spirit to understand the breadth and length and height of Christ's love. What happens? Last part of 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See. Simple. Right. The Holy Spirit will be at work to help us understand the love of Christ more deeply. And the more we understand the love of Christ, we'll be filled with all the fullness of God. It's simple. But it's not easy. Hall of Famer baseball player Ted Williams one time was asked, Mr. Williams, is it easy to hit home runs? And he said, "Um, it is simple, but it is not easy. And it is simple. The Holy Spirit is at work within us to help us understand the love of Christ more deeply. And as we do, we're filled with all the fullness of God. But it is not easy. If it were easy, this would not be in a prayer. 
And so in the same way Paul is praying for this, you and I should be praying for this. We prayed and we fasted together all last week. And now let's pray throughout this whole sermon series. Let's, let's commit to praying daily and praying in community groups and praying as families and praying with our friends. So that the simple reality of the work of the Holy Spirit helping us understand the love of Christ more deeply, that we might be filled with the fullness of God, would happen. That we would pray, God, please make this happen. Please make this happen. Because it is not easy. We want to be in receive mode. Last night we, we were at that wedding of Peter and Sarah and um, one of uh, our friends that we knew there took a picture of Hannah and I. And uh, Hannah wanted that picture. So she asked the friend, can you give me that picture? And what happens? Well, that friend turns on her phone and turns on airdrop and selects the picture. And then Hannah turns on her phone and uh, turns on airdrop. And all of a sudden, there it is. It says, uh, you know, so-and-so is trying to send you a picture. Do you accept and she says, yes, except. And now that picture's on her phone and also on Facebook. But the friend was sending out the signal, right? But she got it. She had to accept. She had to accept. And this is what we want to be praying about, that we would be in receive mode, that we would have our airdrop on, as it were, that we would say, God, give us, send us your Holy Spirit to empower us so that we understand more than ever before the love of Christ, so much so that we experience that fullness that you have for us. See, you got to understand, prayer is not something God wants us to do because that's what good Christians do. Prayer is what God wants us to do so He'll answer that. He wants us to cry out to Him that He can show Himself as the one who's faithful and provides for His people. So would we be a praying people? Would you commit to that every day? And pray this prayer. Pray this prayer that the Holy Spirit would be at work in us to help us understand how Christ dwells in our hearts through faith so that we will comprehend the breadth and length and depth and height and know Christ's love, which is beyond knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's why we wanted to start here in this passage, so that throughout the whole sermon series, we're thinking about that we're incomplete, but we find in Christ everything that's missing in us. We want to call that fullness to us through Christ. Trust that God will give it to us. So we want to accept something, we want to receive something, and third, we want to reject something. Okay? We want to reject something, and what we want to reject is fear. This is not from the text. This is from years of pastoral ministry as well as knowing how big of a fraidy cat I am in real life. Uh, what we want to reject is fear. fear. Fear will actually be one of the biggest barriers between us really growing much more deeply and understanding the love of Christ and being filled with the fullness of God. Fear is always... A barrier, and we are far more dominated by fear than we realize. A lot more of your decisions and my decisions are made in fear than we realize. That's probably why the most frequent thing God says to his people throughout the entire Old and New Testaments is, do not fear. I was reading a book by a neuroscientist, and he was talking about how fear does affect so many of our decisions. And one of the things he was talking about that's so interesting is way that we are always going to default to something that we know we have this great fear of the unknown 
And one of the ways that they have seen this about the, the human brain is looking at the way people respond in different situations uh, where they are asked if they can do something that involves the unknown. So one example would be they've done this experiment where they have two vases or vases. And so you have two vases and one, you are told, is filled with 20 marbles, 10 black, 10 white. Okay, you're told there's a vase with 10 black marbles, 10 white marbles. Then right next to it is another vase. And that vase also has 20 marbles. Uh, and you, but you don't know if they're all black or all white or some black, some white or 70, 30, 60, 40. You don't know. So you know that in one vase, there's 10 black marbles, 10 white marbles. In the other vase, you don't know. You just know there's 20 marbles. And so what they do is they say, we're going to give you $100 if you can reach in and pull out a black marble to either base, and then if you can reach in again, and that next time pull in, pull out a white marble, we'll give you $100. That was the experiment. And here's what would happen. Invariably, the people would come up, and they would look at the two vases. They know there's 10 black and 10 white in one, and they know they don't know what's in the other. They know there's 20. Could all be black, could be white. They reach into the one where they know there's black and there's white, and they see what they get. And then, when they go for their second try, invariably... Guess which one they reach into? The same one. Now, logically, it makes sense. You can kind of prove this out. That it would make more sense to reach into the other one. But that got too nerdy, and I didn't understand that part. But the thing is, what he was saying is his point was, this is one of the things that proves that the human mind is always going to, we're, we're just conditioned in the fall to go with what we know. We're so scared of what is not known. Which is why God lovingly says repeatedly through his word, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. He wants us to come into what's currently unknown to us, but it's well known to him. He wants us to realize he really does know us and who we are and what we need. And he really does love us. And so we want to reject fear. And receive that love more deeply. And the way you reject fear is really by facing it and by calling it out, by naming it or naming even the thing that makes you incomplete. You know, we're all incomplete in different ways. And if we can identify some of those ways that we are really incomplete as individuals, uh, that's how God is going to change us according to those things we're realizing. Um, it was either this past summer or it was the summer before, but we, my family was on the beach with a couple other families from the school where our children attend. And um, it was a windy day. All the kids were swimming in the water and all the adults were sitting there um, just talking. And I'll never forget this. Like what happened was we there was a guy about 20 or 30 year, yards down the beach and he had this big blue umbrella, big, huge blue shade umbrella. And as the adults are sitting there talking, uh, we all kind of see out of the corner of our eye, this big wind gust comes and picks that umbrella up and takes it out over the water, kind of bounces across the water a little bit, and then it starts to sink. And at this point, we look back, and the guy who owned that thing wasn't there. He'd gone for a walk or something. And so we see this umbrella fly out into the water, and now it's sinking, and we're like, aw, you know, that's, that's too bad. And, um, you know, we're just... We don't, what, what are you going to do? It's sinking. It's gone. We can't see it anymore. And then um, a minute or two later, 
we, we noticed that it was just, you could see it still just a little bit under the surface and it would kind of go away and it would come back. And, and so I stood up and one of the adults said, are you going to get it? And I said, do unto others as you'd have done unto you. And I took off running. And I was just booking down the beach. I was seeing it over here. And as soon as I got about perpendicular to it, I banked hard and ran out into the ocean. Those big, huge, I'm jumping in the water, jumps. It got too deep. I dive in. It's like Baywatch. And, uh, and, and, I, and I go and, I, and I'm getting out there. And I'm, I feel it, right? It's like sinking now. It's under, under water. So I'm diving down and I'm getting it. And as I'm trying to pull this umbrella, it's heavy now. It's filled with water. And I'm just weak anyway. And as I'm, as I'm pulling this thing up, I feel these arms come and wrap me up. And they're like pulling me back. And I'm like, wait, I'm trying, I'm trying to do something here. And, um, anyway, uh, pretty much what happens is we kind of get up out of the water and we start this, this person that had come out there. We're both in the water now. We're kind of carrying up this umbrella. And, uh, this person is furious with me. And I didn't realize it as first. I, I missed the coral necklace and the tan and the red shorts. This was a lifeguard. And, um, he was furious with me and I didn't understand. But then, when uh, we, we gave the umbrella back to the guy who owned it, he was grateful. Um, and so I walk back and um, my friends say, well, uh, you caused quite a commotion. And I said, why? And he said, when the lifeguard saw you running into the water, he sounded the alarm and said, everybody out of the water. And he took off running after me. He was thinking that there was somebody in the water drowning. And that's why he was so mad when he realized it was an umbrella. You know, he thought he was going to save a life. And he just helped some dork save an umbrella. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story for two reasons. Uh, one is it exposes how incomplete I am. Because while I would love to tell you that the reason I stood up and ran in there was for love of neighbor... The truth is, it was really for love of self. You know, I, I grew up thinking pastors had it all together. They were complete and they were going to teach us how to be complete. I wish I had not ever thought that. Um, and your pastor is incomplete. I stood up and as my friend said, are you going to get it? I would love to tell you that what I was thinking is, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do this for love of neighbor. But I was thinking, if I do this, they will be so impressed. And part of how I'm incomplete is I believe that when I feel incomplete, what I really need is to impress others and then, then I'll be complete. What an unfortunate and tragic lie. That's the way I'm incomplete. That might be the way you're incomplete as well. Sort of feeling this false truth that if I appear successful, then I'll be complete. If I, if I impress people, then I'll be complete. That's how I struggle. I don't know how you struggle. Maybe, maybe you are a, a young mom who believes she'll be complete if she can convince others that she has it all together. Maybe you're a college student who believes that he'll be complete if he gets good grades. Maybe you are a single person who believes I will be complete when I finally... Meet someone. Or maybe you're somebody who drinks too much trying to erase your awareness of how incomplete you are. 
I wonder if we would fight fear and acknowledge what it is about each of us that makes us incomplete. Because if we do, and we realize that the cross is the proof that God is waiting for us to run to Him to find that fullness, it'll change us as people and as a church. There's two reasons I told you that story. One is because it exposes my incompleteness. Two is because there was two people running on that beach that day. One was running for his own self. Another was running to rescue someone in need. And for you and I to look at the cross and to see that God is a God who rescues His people from their sin. But then to realize He doesn't stop there. He keeps running down that beach to get us, to deliver us from the things that are plaguing us even now, from these false beliefs about what will make us complete from our idolatries. That He keeps running down that beach and He won't stop. And He keeps diving into the water and He keeps pulling us out. If we can see him in that, if we can see our God as a God who runs to us, having saved us from our sin, now saving us from the power of sin and all these lies that we believe, then recognizing how incomplete we are just sets us up to look to him in the work of the Holy Spirit and a deeper understanding of the love of Christ that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. You know that word fullness? Etymologically at that time it was used to refer to a ship Once everything was on board and it was ready to set sail. Fullness. God is coming to the rescue. And if you will acknowledge what you need that rescue from. He's going to grab hold of you. He's going to grab hold of me. And he's going to do the wonderful things that only he can do. He's going to fill us with the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we bow before you and ask you humbly to give us the courage to acknowledge how incomplete we are. Give us the radical grace with which to treat each other as we talk about how we're incomplete. Give us a strong sense of the finished work of Christ so that we can boldly acknowledge the ways that we're incomplete without fearing your judgment. If there are any of us here that are not believers, would you, Lord, give them the gift of faith that they too might not only be set free from the penalty of their sin through faith in Christ, but even its power. And would you bless us richly as we study the book of Ephesians together That each and every one of us would begin to truly believe and live according to what is true. That we find in Christ what's missing in us. And we pray these things for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.